0: So if you're ready to be bloat free, poo better, have more energy and become free from the fear of food, then you are in the right place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nourish Gut podcast. Today, we are having uh, another visit uh, by Sage King, which I'm very excited for. However, today, we both are on the good end of a nasty bug. So I did just want to kind of say... Uh, let's embrace a little bit of snot and a bit of um, uh, coughing if it happens and we do apologize but we were just too excited to kind of get this recording out there to help everyone that we yes we're getting it done with a bit of herbal throat spray and gargling salt warm water (laughs) beforehand. (laughs) Um, So today uh, we're going to be talking about all things histamine Um, and how histamine is connected uh, to so many things like stress, fertility, and of course, digestion. Before we jump into the episode today, I did want to introduce Sage again. Uh, We have introduced her before, but I think it would be really nice for anyone who hasn't already listened to the previous episode um, to know a little bit about Sage. So she is a diversity friendly naturopath and nutritionist specializing in reproductive health, preconception care, infertility, IVF support, pregnancy and postpartum care. Uh, She aims to guide and educate her patients through an evidence-based model to optimise their health and fertility outcomes, promoting healthy pregnancies, infants and postpartum recovery. Sage also has a special interest in supporting the LGBTQIA plus and sex worker communities and all individuals assigned female at birth wanting to conceive. Investigating and addressing assigned male fertility for heterosexual couples or same-sex couples with a known sperm donor or those undertaking fertility preservation as a key part of SAGE's practice. As an educator and speaker, SAGE contributes to practitioner educations on topics such as preconception care and LGBTQIA plus inclusivity and reproductive health. SAGE has contributed uh, to research alongside the NICM uh, Health Research Institute investigating the impact on naturopathic interventions on uh, premature ovarian insufficiency and pregnancy outcomes. So you guys are in very good hands today when it comes to talking about all things fertility, but... Sage has also done a lot of my practitioner mentoring programs um, and has a really big passion for gut health and addresses kind of gut health in all of her uh, fertility preconception care patients as well. Um, And it was through conversations in one of our live mentoring rounds about histamine. Um, and how she was like, oh, I think it's histamine. for it. We were mentoring on a case and it was actually another practitioner's case um, that you piped up about and you were like, oh, I think that this histamine stuff might be going on and everyone was kind of like, oh, tell us more Um, and Sage kind of took the floor and did a bit of an education session to all the practitioners in my mentoring group at the time. So I just thought let's share this as far and wide as we can get Sage on the podcast um, and let's deep dive into all things histamine, fertility, gut health and even mental health. Isn't it Sage? Like there's just so much that it's linked to and it's a really, really fascinating area. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me back. You're welcome. So let's talk about histamine and what exactly histamine is, because I'm sure most people have heard about histamine and, you know, high histamine foods and cutting out histamine um, and histamine being a cause of kind of a lot of allergy, you know, presenting things in our immune system. But can you t- take us a little bit deeper and talk about it in a, in a bigger context for us today?
1: Yeah, of course. So, Histamine, as you said, is commonly thought of um, when we think about allergies, hay fever type of symptoms, because it's an important immune messenger molecule that's released by immune cells known as mast cells that uh, is triggered in states of inflammation or injury, infection or allergens. So we have a pretty good understanding from a general health perspective that histamine can influence symptoms like, you know, runny noses, itchy eyes, coughing, post-nasal drip. Um, But on a larger scale, histamine is less commonly discussed in regards to its role as a neurotransmitter. So we actually have histamine receptors located all over the body uh, and it has really important roles in different processes like Uh, smooth muscle contraction, um, uh, vasodilation of blood vessels, but it also interacts with hormones such as estrogen and cortisol. uh, And it also has a key role in our digestive processes, as it's required for uh, gastric acid secretion, which we need obviously for digestion. And it's uh, additionally plays a role in influencing mood and sleep. So Yes, we think about histamine and allergies, but there's just so much more that it plays when it comes to our overall health. Mm,
0: absolutely. And so can you talk to us a little bit about what the symptoms of high histamine
1: are? Mm-hmm, sure. So high histamine symptoms, as I mentioned earlier, I you know we think about runny noses and um, sneezing, itchy eyes, but because of its role across different um, systems, what we can see is, unfortunately for us, very um, broad and vague symptoms that may or may not be contributed to from high histamine. So from a nervous system perspective, if people are experiencing um, headaches or migraines, or if they're assigned female at birth and they're noticing a worsening of these symptoms in their premenstrual window, there is the possibility that histamine may be uh, in, in play in that scenario. From a digestive perspective, um, you know, uh, specifically uh, waking with nausea for no real reason is really connected to high histamine as it increases that um, gut sensitivity to that signal. Um, But it's also associated with bloating and flatulence and diarrhoea and constipation and vomiting uh, and loss of appetite. But importantly, those symptoms usually will occur after consuming high histamine type food. So it's important to differentiate between those two. And from a reproductive health perspective, especially in those assigned female at birth, it can potentially be an underlying cause of things like uh, PMDD. It can worsen period pain. It can increase heavy menstrual blood flow. Um, but it's also been connected to infertility and poor egg quality in some cases as well.
0: Mm, it just covers so many aspects and so many systems um, within the body. Can you talk a little bit, because one of the things that we spoke about in um, our live mentoring round, and I think what sparked our conversation was around the anxious patient um, and that anxiety. Um, and sometimes there can be a, a a presentation clinically in our patients Um with the overthinking, the analysing, the uh, the fear um, around things. Um, and I know that this can be the case in a lot of my patients who have multiple food sensitivities um, and they've been on this really long journey um, okay. and it's almost like this anxiety becomes a huge blocker. Can you talk a little bit more about what might be happening from a histamine point of view specifically with patients who are just so anxious
1: yeah of course so when it comes to histamine there are two main pathways that we uh will metabolize and break down and remove histamine one being uh in the gut so um, this is via an enzyme called uh d aminoxidase oxidase or dao and that enzyme in the gut is responsible for breaking down histamine that we ingest so that can be from food in some cases, though, DAO can be working just fine and our histamine can still be elevated in our blood without, and when I say elevated in our blood, it's not about, you know, a full allergic response. It's that that optimal level of where histamine should be is uh, raised. And so this is what I find clinically is that patients come to me and uh, they are... Uh, Um, quite anxious or they've got um, they've had depression that has improved with SSRIs that also act as antihistamines. Uh, And because of the action of the histamine as an excitatory neurotransmitter, histamine contributes to uh, alertness and motivation and getting things done. So without histamine, we actually struggle to achieve all that much. But on the flip side of that, if we have excess histamine, we do have trouble stopping the mind and we have issues with sleep from not being able to switch off. And it does really present with um, anxiety and that uh, those perfectionist traits in people. Uh, And a lot of my beautiful high histamine patients are my patients that tend to be the hardest on themselves. And I often discuss with my patients that, you know, high histamine can be those people that... On the outside, everything's fine. So, they're like a duck sitting on top of water, they're beautiful, they're having the best time of their life in the sun, but underneath their, their feet are like paddling mm-hmm. a thousand miles an hour. And that really seems to be quite a strong characteristic trait of people with high histamine, um, but it's also associated with depression. So, I have had patients as well who have been on um, SSRI antidepressant medications for a long time and they've found them to be really effective. But it's also the combination of the fact that it's an antihistamine that it's also improved uh, their mental health outcomes.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I see it so often. And I think since our discussion a couple of months ago, it's really evident to me now. Like it really stands out more and more. And now that I'm, you know, testing more of that in my clinic as well, it's very interesting for sure. Um, can we now talk about the microbiome and gut and histamine? Mm -hmm. So I have a really specific question here. I've actually been asked this a few times by practitioners, and I'd love to know, uh, what your thoughts here are. So when we're doing, uh, microbiome testing, um, and for example, via like metagenomic shotgun testing, and in there we can measure histamine, and like the bacteria in those reports are responsible for uh, producing histamine in our gut, um, yes. and then we can get a, a gut-based um, high histamine level. Is this different to what we're talking about today in terms of blood histamine, or do you know if the microbes um, are contributing to this picture as well, and it's like, yeah, Does that make
1: sense? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. And look, to be honest, we're never, unless we do a lumbar puncture, we're never actually going to know what someone's true baseline histamine levels are. But what we're doing is clinically collecting data to determine what the main driver of the histamine presentation is. And in the cases where you do have that dysbiotic picture of course those microbes are going to create to that excess histamine load that will eventually contribute to those high histamine levels in the blood but if the DAO is not working what then happens is that your HNMT which is the neurotransmitter pathway so it goes through your methylation pathway then becomes responsible to basically clean up the mess that DAO couldn't
0: finish. Mm. So it's kind of like an accumulation and then you've got other parts of the body that aren't functioning properly that then can't clear it and deal with that um, in excess as well. Um, And so what else, how else does histamine and is it implicated in gut health or is it mainly what we've just talked about in terms of the microbiome and when it comes from a gut
1: perspective? Okay. So when it comes to DAO and the gut, uh, your microbiome, as we've discussed, will absolutely influence how much histamine is created. But histamine is also implicated in other conditions. So we can see it in IBS, IBD, especially SIBO. There's such a strong correlation with SIBO and high histamine. Um, but whether, um, whether histamine itself Directly influences your microbiome in that kind of bidirectional way. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but what I do know is that histamine will uh, increase. Cortisol over time. And so, what we end up with is a higher baseline level cortisol. And that cortisol can then have an influence negatively on your gut health. So, it can influence the integrity of the gut lining. And that can then further influence the activity of DAO. So, while it's not a direct line and influence, it can uh, indirectly influence how much histamine is then further created in the gut from that imbalance. Amazing. That makes so
0: much sense. Can you just touch on what DAO is? I know it's an enzyme, but just for our listeners, because I know we're talking about it a lot today. And 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 I just know that some people might be like, what is
1: that? <laughs> <laughs> totally. So DAO is an enzyme that is also known as diamine oxidase. And it is the enzyme that's actually responsible for breaking down and metabolizing histamine. Uh, And so DAO is only going to be active in the gut, and that's the first line of histamine metabolism, whereas the HNMT, the histamine N-methyltransferase that we've been talking about, is uh, part of that methylation clearance. So methylation, we're talking about uh, B vitamins and uh, that process of like healthy cellular DNA, naturopaths that are listening, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, but for those that don't, you know, that healthy cellular um, DNA creation is part of a methylation picture. And so um, it's really important as practitioners for us and as patients as well, I suppose, to determine what pathway is contributing to you the most. Mm. And if you have those high histamine symptoms, there's also the potential that it's both. So they're not going to be mutually exclusive from one another.
0: Mm. So interesting. So before we move on and talk about kind of like what conditions and testing and treatment, can you just touch on, and I know this is like your zone of genius, like for the listeners um, about then its implication on estrogen and fertility. Um, because I know that's a huge thing that's going on. And I know we're a very gut-based podcast here, but gut and fertility and estrogen and hormones, everything's connected. So I think it's a really important conversation to have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So throughout the uh, female reproductive tract, there are lots and lots of histamine receptors, especially in the um, uterus and in the ovaries. And so what we see is um, histamine influencing um, estrogen production and we also see um, uh, cyclical changes to histamine and estrogen as we get those natural peaks and troughs of estrogen throughout the menstrual cycle. So we've discussed the importance of um, histamine when it comes to microbiome health and dysbiosis, but we need to think about that as well in terms of overall health and fertility of For a nutritional absorption, you know, how well your bowels are moving, um, which can then further contribute to to higher estrogen levels um, in the body. Uh, And when we talk about um, the influence of uh, the HNMT pathway on clearing that histamine, what we're doing when we have high histamine levels is relying a lot more on those you know, folates, B12s, B6s, B2s, all and choline uh, and SAMI, all of those things that we need to create healthy eggs, for example. So it really is a big part of the work that I do because where the histamine is expressed has means that there's a bidire- this is where there is a bidirectional relationship. So histamine, influence, estrogen and vice versa. And because uh, histamine doesn't uh, influence progesterone in the same way, what we then end up seeing is a relative high level of estrogen compared to progesterone, which can then influence how well an embryo can implant into the endometrium. Uh, and because of its role also in the immune system, there's research dating back to like the seventies and nineties that showed positive pregnancy outcomes using antihistamines. And so because of its uh, immune stimulation, in some cases I have seen where histamine has also been part of the reason as to why an embryo transfer may not have been successful. Wow. So a range of other things, of course, but they're kind of the main ones that I um, speak to patients about regularly. Yeah. Thank you so much
0: for sharing that. I think it's, you can, I don't know, you can really tell that it's your jam. You just like get in this whole other world when you're talking about all things. (laughs) I love it. I love watching. um, I know.
1: Um, like my over like Yeah,
0: like often I have like people in from special specialty areas coming out and it's almost like this trance or they just kind of get lost in like as they're talking. <laughs> so yeah. cool. um, um, I'm just sitting here admiring it. Um oh. so tell me a little bit about what are the main uh conditions that get most affected by a histamine.
1: Yeah, of course. So uh so immune, we've discussed a lot, allergies, hay fever, also mast cell activation syndrome as well is implicated in that. Um, from a nervous system perspective, pressure and anxiety, OCD, insomnia, migraines and headaches, especially um, around ovulation or premenstrually implicated in IBS, IBD and SIBOs, we've discussed. Uh, and uh, from a reproductive health perspective, the list goes on, but especially in severe premenstrual symptoms, Um, PMDD cyclical vomiting syndrome so for people who experience severe pain and vomiting when they get their period histamine can be a really key underlying factor in that it's got a really strong uh, relationship with endometriosis and endometriomas and this is something else that I fertility or not support patients with routinely and histamine can be a really big driver for them in that. Um, but it can also be associated with infertility because it can impact um, ovulation, can influence how well an embryo implants. Um, but yeah, there's and there's a range of other things like a um, from a cardiovascular system perspective can influence um, people experiencing heart palpitations, for example, I could go on, but they're kind of like the main ones that people are commonly seeking naturopathic support for that would have no idea that there's the potential that histamine could be at play for them.
0: Mm. So then once you think that histamine might be an issue for patients, obviously we want to test for it. So can you talk a little bit about what testing can be done when it comes to assessing high histamine
1: issues? Yeah, of course. So it really varies patient to patient. And of course, best assessment is made with a combination of your um, patient's symptoms um, and your pathology um that's assessed by an experienced practitioner that's the really important part of it um but one of the key things that we do that you and I have discussed a lot is whole blood histamine testing but it's important for patients and practitioners alike to understand that the way that we interpret these results is very, very different to how the test itself is supposed to interpret data. So um, what it's looking for is if there's an active allergic response going on in that moment, but what we are testing is what a baseline histamine level looks like without um, without the circumstance of an allergic reaction being in play so Mm -hmm. I'll always assess that and I'll always assess um, uh, homocysteine uh, because homocysteine of course is going to give us further interpretation as to um, how replete we are in terms of those uh, important methyl B vitamins Uh, and if we do need to support histamine clearance in any way there's a lot of uh, considerations as a practitioner to ensure the safety in the application of using, um, key nutrients to increase, uh, histamine metabolism, but of course, we're always going to be looking at the gut as well. So microbiome testing, SIBO breath testing, I do all of that as well for my patients, because of course, it's one thing to say you have high histamine, but we want to know the how and the why and the drivers behind that. Mm.
0: Amazing. And so then once we have found that patients have high histamine, what do we then do? Like, how do we treat these patients and support such high histamine levels, especially when they're affecting so much in the body?
1: Yeah, totally. So again, it's really going to depend on what's right for um, the individual. And my advice to patients is always going to be based on their individual circumstances after we've done a very thorough clinical assessment and whatever pathology testing has been indicated for them as well. So for patients that I find do have that really significant histamine response to food. Of course, we will look at doing a low histamine diet, but I'm not a huge fan of, and I know that you're not either, not a huge fan of blanket elimination diets for anyone, let alone at all. So often I'll just um, take out those really high histamine foods for a short period of time and then from there if there is an improvement in their uh, symptoms then we know we're on the right track and if there's not we don't worry about it because it's actually not influencing them at all but when we talk about high histamine foods we're thinking about fermented foods predominantly alcohol sauerkraut kimchi miso cultured dairy products like yogurt cheese and butter pickled vegetables my favorite (laughs) uh, really high mean cured meats aged meats um but uh leftover food specifically so a really simple thing that i get my patients to do is just uh, buy fresh animal produce and they either cook it on the same day or they freeze it as soon as they buy it and then defrost it and cook it so it's fresh because it's actually that aging process uh that creates higher histamine content in foods so Uh, that's something that we can do, uh, stress management, as we know, is always going to be a really important part of that and adrenal support because of that influence of high histamine on increasing cortisol and adrenal output. Um, I also, uh, will speak to my patients around, um, drugs or medications that may be influencing histamine release as well. So like NSAIDs and alcohol, Um, but if we have uh, established the fact that it's more of a neurotransmitter rather than a digestive histamine presentation, uh, and I have to caveat this with you must always speak to an experienced health professional before undertaking any of these interventions, Uh, but we will look at your um, methyl B repletion, and of course, SAMI. So uh, SAMI is a really important uh, metabolizer of histamine, and it's something that I um, am so thankful to have learned so much from my uh, mentor and colleague, Rhiannon Hardingham, about. But in the right circumstances, when used very safely under close monitoring SAMI can be absolutely life-changing in terms of improving patients' mental health outcomes, reducing anxiety, depression, uh, improving their sleep, and just feeling like they're not uh, running on that hamster wheel so much as frequently. Mm, so amazing and so important
0: you know i want to echo what you said there about you know all of the things that we discuss on this podcast are general in nature and not used to diagnose or treat so it is really really important especially in this situation because um you know messing with your methylation um and and supplement supplementing sorry with things like sammy um can actually worsen uh, how you might be feeling if it's not right for you. Um,
1: so, Absolutely. And there's also, you know, a pattern that patients usually follow when they first start taking it. I often check in with my patients, you know, a couple of days after they confirm that they've started taking it just to keep a very close eye on them. Uh, And, you know, for patients that have um, bipolar or any family history of bipolar, then Sam is just absolutely not safe for them to
0: take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So please be careful with, you know, how you interpret that um, and use that information today. But I think it'll be really beneficial for practitioners. Um, And if you are seeing a practitioner, then have that discussion with them, ask them about it. Or if you need a practitioner, you have um, the wonderful sage here or we have a team at at the Nourish Gut Clinic as well. Um, so is there anything that you would do from a kind of gut perspective, like probiotic, do you know, I just thought I would, um, of course have to finish up on something gut related. Um, (laughs) is there any type of probiotic or gut based treatment that you find effective and you may not, and that's totally fine, but I just thought
1: I would ask. Yeah, of course. Um well, I always find I know that there is specific strains and I can't think of them right now. But you're um, on the spot. Sorry. I they, that I know that there is and that's going to annoy me and I'm going to try and find it so we can put it in the um show notes for <laughs> Um but Healing the gut is just such an integral part of the work that we do and, as I know, is yours, is often the first place that I start when it comes to gut health, whether we've done um, necessary testing or not, because everyone just needs a bit of help from that perspective. Um, But, pardon me, uh, often getting to the uh, root cause of the digestive complaints that are being presented. So eliminating SIBO, uh, correcting any underlying dysbiosis or parasitic infection will then obviously improve that microbiome diversity uh, and the activity of the DAO, because it's going to be reducing the uh, reliance on DAO to clear that histamine from those really high histamine producing microbes that are in, in the gut. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think, it's so it's so hard because everyone's so individual um, to really pin it down but from a digestive perspective yeah pre-probiotics uh low histamine or just taking out those high histamine foods initially to see if they make a difference uh when it, it fits it works really really well
0: and then just the general gut healing that you were talking about as well. Um, and I think a lot has to be said for the, um, you know, the dysbiosis. And a lot of what I say when I'm mentoring practitioners is, um, or even when I'm talking to my patients is it's not um, the food's fault. You know, it's not what's actually, and you know, because they're getting these symptoms and then when they take the food out, it does reduce some of these symptoms. They then associate that change that it was the food causing that but when your practitioner is also doing uh gut work uh working with the DAO enzy- enzyme and other things that what's happening here is we're working on the underlying uh mechanisms that are causing this kind of cascade as well as kind of eliminating the fuel that's being added to the fire which is often the food Um, so I just thought I would talk a little bit about that because I know that there can be a bit of fear and especially if you are a higher histamine person and you're feeling really anxious um, and then you get quite anxious about adding these foods back in that it may just be this beautiful process that unfolds but I want you to really think about the relationship that you have mentally with the food um, and be open to introducing these foods back in, especially if you've been working on these underlying things like the microbiome, like healing the gut, mental health, those pathways that Sage has spoken about today, um, then please be open to bringing these foods back in I feel like this is my purpose in life um is to really encourage <laughs> people <laughs> um, to have a diet of inclusion um and what I really love about what I've learned from you sage is how um because it is a big blocker that the anxiety that these patients are feeling is so extreme that no matter how often I was coaching them and counseling through this anxiety or giving them a herb it just wasn't hitting and I just felt like we weren't getting anywhere. But now that I've been able to uncover that the histamine was, you know, a large part of that anxiety, it's unlocked a really beautiful part of my practice, enabling patients to go from, you know, that real deep fear of food and anxiety around it. And not every patient has that, but for the ones that do, it's a whole other level of, you know, outcomes, which is really exciting. So I want to thank you so much for, openly sharing your knowledge and um, I know that uh, Rhiannon Hardingham's been a big part of that so also thanking her for you know educating you and then you being able to be here today to share all of this information uh, not just in uh, my mentoring programs but for everyone else as well so thank you so much I absolutely adore having you here and all of your wonderful knowledge I know (laughs) clinic buddies forever yes (laughs) is there anything else before we have to say goodbye that you wanted to say?
1: Yeah, of course. I just to touch on what you were just mentioning um, about the, the anxiety that you see in your high histamine patients. It's, it's really important to understand that it's the hypervigilance that the histamine is creating by increasing your stress hormones that makes it really hard for you to Um, be able to regulate your nervous system in that way and I see exactly the same thing in terms of giving them a herb and just it's done something but it just hasn't done what it should have done and what I'm finding now which is what I'm sure you're talking about is when you use the right intervention to treat the histamine nothing else hits as hard as that you even see uh, you know people's demeanor Change quite significantly. And it's just so rewarding for those patients when you can get to the bottom of that and be like, this is what's going on. Let me help you with that. Uh, and you know, I don't even say it lightly. It's absolutely life-changing in those circumstances. So I'm I was so glad that, that. <laughs> support for that. Yeah.
0: Yes. Through your education and sharing this, you don't, you don't even know the full impact sometimes, you know, when we pass on, and that's what I love about mentoring is I know that I have that capacity to pass on the knowledge that I've um, independently researched or experienced through clinical observations to other practitioners. And that ripple effect, you know, as a practitioner is so rewarding. So it's always good as a practice to, you know, want to share because it helps so many people and I think that's what we're all here for you know as part of our industry yeah totally thank you so much again for being here um and thank you for listening everyone and just remember to subscribe rate and review the podcast um so that we can keep bringing you more amazing episodes like this one I will see you on the next episode take care bye Bye. Did you like what you heard? Leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about my Nourish Gut program or the Nourish Gut Kids membership, head over to my website. Would you like to be a part of a community that gets it? Join our Facebook group, Nourish Gut Community, or come and follow me over on Instagram. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time on the Nourish Gut podcast.